purposeful, and Zach Steffen has had another Wembley nightmare. History horribly repeating itself for the American goalkeeper. A massive, massive mistake here from Zach Steffen. And sorry to have to say it, but that is the kind of mistake that can haunt a goalkeeper for years. Yes. There's, been, there's been reports that, that he's considering a loan move before I, the World Cup. I, 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 I thought he should have left City two years ago. Which is the club out there that takes that chance on, on Zach Steffen right now? I, I think he's in real danger of losing his number one spot for, for the United States national team. Shaq is absolutely spot on. When you see the Zach Steffen mistake, it's, it's a lack of sharpness. He's not started too many times this season. Welcome to Football Americas! Usually I'm not the guy doing this, it's Sebastian Salazar, but the little guy, he's on vacation. He deserves a little bit of vacation, but I brought in a DP. I brought in a franchise player in his place, Mauricio Pedrosa. What's up, Herc? Not much. I like the way you go about your Football Americas. That's, yeah. It's a nice I, tone to that. I don't want to stand, you know, I don't want to overdo it because I don't want to make Seb a little jealous there. It's fine, it's fine. He won't be jealous. Uh, we have a great show. Today, we have Casey Keller coming up next. Yeah. Uh, Christine Alexander will join us because we're going to have to talk about Chivas and their search of a new manager. And we will have on our road to Qatar a one-on-one conversation with Yunus Musa. But let's get things started. We just saw what happened at the FA Cup semifinal. For that, we will welcome former Premier League goalkeeper, UN's men's national team player, Casey Keller on the show. How are you, Casey? Mauricio, good. Herc, what's going on? My man, my man. All right, so let's, let's dive into it because <laughs> we all saw what happened. Let's take a look at the highlights of the game and start talking about what we saw. Zach Steffen starting the semifinals FA Cup. Manchester City, Liverpool, one of those matches the world is watching. And this is minute number nine. Beheader and the score. Things started going in Liverpool's way, Herc. Manchester City playing... Not the usual starters for this match. No, not the usual starters. That's a, a set-piece goal that Man City wants to get back. Uh, borderline Stefan area, I don't think it was, but that's the first one nonetheless. All right, so 17th minute, Casey. John Stones plays the ball to sack Stefan. He's low in his reaction, and Sadio Mane with the goal. What was your first reaction when you saw that, Casey? First reaction was that it's just a, a goalkeeper who just looks rusty, who just looks like he's not up to the speed of of play at the moment. And it is. It's one of the most difficult things to do as a goalkeeper is to be uh, ready at a moment's, moment's notice, even though you're not playing week in and week out. But you take those opportunities. And Zach, you, know, you have to take the opportunity that's given to you, knowing that you're the number two for the most part at Man City, and that here's a chance. Now I have to continue to shine. I have to continue to show my teammates, my coaching staff, the fans, the press, everybody that I am just there. I'm ready for the opportunity. And unfortunately for Zach, he just he just hasn't been able to perform at the level that I think we know he can play at, that obviously Pep Guardiola knows he can play, he can play at, but he's just not consistently doing it. And that's that's a worrying sign for Greg Berhalter and the men's national team. I'll tell you what, that, that third goal right there, maybe a in-confidence, in-form Zach Steffen. Uh, makes a play on it, you know, on the near post. It's a very difficult volley to stop. You don't expect it. And then it's a little play right here. He got lucky. He made up for it. But 
I agree with Case. It looks like a player who's not so sure of himself. Pep Guardiola on sack seven. It can happen, so it's an accident. So I'm pretty sure that Zach doesn't want to do it. So it's football, and sometimes you know, the strikers miss the chances in front of the keepers all the time, but the, the keepers is more. Uh, yeah, they punish you more. It's unfair, you know, when when you play cups or play competitions that you don't play, you know, uh, there for a moment. So deserves to play Zach and he made a good game. After that, the courage to play, he make a good decision, a good save. So and he's an exceptional keeper. So it was an accident. It was an accident. He's an exceptional keeper. Zach Stefan posted this after the game trials and tribulations failures and success that's live yesterday's game is a tough pill to swallow all we can do is get back up and grow from it thank you to all the fans who made the trip we will work hard to make you guys proud we move forward all right let's talk about the performance uh casey that performance by zach stefan is it something nothing or everything I think it's a little bit of the middle. You know, I mean, I think the hard part is, is when you don't have the opportunity to then, let's say, be given five, six, seven games in a row. But that's life as a goalkeeper. You have to then prove yourself. You have to, when you get that chance, when you have those opportunities, you have to really be uh, making the coaches think wait a minute, is this guy better than what I have? Look at this performance, not uh, go the other way, not be thinking, oh, yeah, I, I see why the other guy's starting. I see why uh, Pep Guardiola, brilliant job. I thought it was a, a great job for Pep to be able to, to come out and support his player. But at the same time, there was conversation from Pep before the semifinal that said maybe he was rethinking about the, the process and, and not playing uh, Zach in that game. So you then have to change the manager's mind and say, no, this is why you want to play me. And not only do you want to play me in these cup games, but you want to start playing me more regularly in league games because this is what I can do for you. And instead, it was the opposite. I think the tough part is now we're, we're a couple years into this Man City move where he had the, the short spell on loan at Dusseldorf where he, he couldn't finish the season because he was injured for the second half. And now he's really gone a couple years right in the peak of his career where he hasn't been playing regularly. And, and at some point, Zach has to make a decision. Am I here for the money or am I here to play games and the money will follow if I play games? And it's a tough decision. It, it, it is because once you're retired, once you're 35, 40 years old, hmm. well, I played all these games, but well, look at what my bank account looks like now for not playing these games. So <laughs> only one person can answer that question, and that's Zach Steffen. But uh, it's obviously not ideal going into a World Cup year when you're potentially not playing very much. You know, Case, it, it feels like last time you were here, we were having this exact same conversation about Zach Steffen. It was after the Panama game. And I, <laughs> I recall uh, saying to you, 
he doesn't look physically right to me. He doesn't look like a guy who's sure of his body. He had a couple moments where he came out for crosses against Panama, and it was very, very iffy, uh, very nervous and shaky moments. Now this is a player, as you correctly stated, that's not only not played too much, but the games that he has played, and we go back to last year's semifinal FA Cup game against Chelsea. He also gave up a, a bad goal then. It seems like the opportunities that he is getting – on these, on this great stage, this great platform, he's not been necessarily responding that faith in Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola talks about the faith, like the confidence and how the courage that that he had in himself to play that way. How they need him to play that way. It's a staple of Pep Guardiola playing out of the back with your feet. Well, guess what? This is why. Zach Steffen plays with the U.S. Men's National. This is why Greg Berhalter loves him so much because he has the ability to play with his feet. So when you have those opportunities, when you have that platform, you absolutely must take it. Take it by the horns, and he didn't. And unfortunately for Zach Steffen, whether that's physically his well-being or that's bad luck or just a bad day it happened again we just saw a week before that game also against liverpool for for premier league ederson having a very dangerous very similar play but in the end he was able to get out of that riddle and was able to play on so before we move on to the next topic i do want to ask you about this casey because in the last two years zach stefan has played only four games if we count premier league or champions league do you attribute part part of these mistakes to not playing more often with Manchester City? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you play at those big games, you you can't replicate them in, in training. It just doesn't mm-hmm. exist. I guarantee you, Sadio Mane does not make that challenge in a in a five-a-side training game. But because of the, the situation, it's that little bit quicker. And as a goalkeeper, the most important thing you have to do is, is how is your is your speed of decision. And you can see that the speed of decision from Zach in the last few games that we've watched him play, either with the club or country seems to be off. Now, I'll, I'll go back even a step and say, if, if he makes a good reaction save on that first header, tips it over the crossbar, if he touches that shot at the near post for the third goal around the post, and then just makes the mistake with the ball at his feet, then I'm okay. But the, but the problem is, it's, this, it, it's not just the mistakes, hmm. it's sh- shots and shots that come at Zach that you think a player of his quality should be saving more consistently isn't happening. And I think that's a more worrying sign than just having a little bit of, of brain fog and, and making that mistake for the goal, albeit it's a big mistake at a big moment. All right, let's move on to the next topic. You just touched on the UN's Miss national team. How do you believe, uh, Casey, that this performance will affect his status in the UN's Miss national team? Well, I think right now, I mean, we are a ways away. And there's really nobody right now pushing Zach. I thought Matt Turner did a great job to initially push Zach, and then Greg made a very uh, very distinct decision that Matt did great, but 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 Zach's my guy. Now the question mark will be is 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 if Matt Turner goes to Arsenal, he'll probably go to Arsenal as a number two. You're only going to have from August until November to win that starting spot. That's a real tough task. Um, Zach 
potentially, you know, will try to get on loan, maybe not on loan. You know, I, what I see right now is I really see a situation where that decision isn't going to be made until the three games hmm. friendlies leading up to the World Cup because there's a good chance that, you know, you have a group of guys that aren't playing. So normally it would be, hey, let's see. We got two great goalkeepers. They're both playing at big clubs. Let's just see who's in the best form. This is almost the opposite. It's like we don't know who's in form because nobody's playing. Yeah. Should it affect the standing? Yes, you should be affected by how you do at the club level for the national team. Well, if you're not informed, well, you probably won't get the opportunities you're looking for at the international stage. That's just how it goes. Will it happen? No. Greg Berhalter has proven, and Casey put it very well. Uh, there was a distinct, uh, this is my goalkeeper moment, uh, where he chose Zach Steffen over Matt Turner. Matt Turner was on this show, and he talked about how bummed he was because of about how he respected it. The biggest games, Mexico, Costa Rica, they were given to Zach Steffen. And guess what? They were given to him because he believed in Zach Steffen, because he has confidence in Zach Steffen from when they were in Columbus and the way he plays, and they worked out for him. Now, Zach Steffen isn't playing. He's not had a good run of form. Matt Turner's injured. He's going to go into a number two position at Arsenal if he's not loaned out somewhere else. Ethan Horvat is back to being the number two in a yep. championship team. Uh, you're, what are you going to put in? Gaga? You Gaga. got Sean Johnson? <laughs> if you look back at the pool of players that have played under Greg Berhalter, the goalkeepers, is Tyler Miller, uh, Bill Hamid. I mean, you're going back and you're stretching it through very thin. So I don't think there will be uh, any effect of status when it comes to Zach Steffen on this uh, U.S. men's national team. Now, whether it should be is another question, but Case is right. I mean, where are you going to go from here? All right, hold on to that thought because we're going to go back to, to that question right before we say goodbye to Casey Kennedy. But for now, Casey, I want to go back to another topic you were touching on. If, if Zach Steffen gives you a call in the summer and asks you, Casey, what do I do? Should I, should I move in alone? I try to be starter <laughs> on a different team. What do I do? What? What do you tell him? Does it, does it matter where he goes, where he lands? Uh, he, if he goes, he has to go somewhere and play. I mean, that's, that's first and, and, and foremost. And, uh, you know, uh, I was a, a player who enjoyed new challenges, new leagues, different opportunities. And uh, I, I could have stayed in England my whole career, but I had the opportunity to go to Spain and I loved it. I had the opportunity to go to Germany and I loved it. And, and uh, I, there's other players that, that just say, look, this is a good situation. I'm getting paid well. The coach likes me. Okay, I'm not playing. But I couldn't do that. Uh, I personally, I, I had to play. I had to, I had to know that, that, that I was a, a part of the team going forward. And if not, then fine. Let's find a situation that's right. I think you're going to make enough money regardless. But again, I can't make somebody else's decision. I would talk to him. I would give him the different scenarios that I went through, the different changes, the enjoyment of, of playing in different countries uh, and different teams and winning over different teammates and, and fans and, and press. But uh, in the end, it's, it's, uh, it's Zach's decision, and he's got to figure that out. Yeah, Zach's ha it's a personal decision. Zach Stefan has to figure this out for himself. What I will say is he's 27 years old, and I know sometimes we think, well, goalkeepers, that, that doesn't matter. They last forever. They last forever. But we're seeing goalkeepers play at a very young age right now, and Zach's at this pivotal point in his career where maybe a change of scenery will do him good. He's had that Pep Guardiola City big team experience. He's not been the man. He won't be the man with Ed Ederson there. Uh, it, it's, it's a... a, a 
cautionary tale, because we see it with Ricardo Pepe. You have to be very careful of where you go in a World Cup year. He has to go somewhere where he plays, where he's an instrumental part, and where he has confidence, because that's going to be crucial heading into a World Cup year. But at 27 years old, this may be the most important decision of his life. All right, so the next question, Casey, uh, demands a short and quick answer. If the World Cup starts tomorrow, okay. who do you start in goal? Well, I think right now you have to start Zach Steffen because you said Matt Turner's injured. You've got and, – and, and everybody else coming up underneath uh, I, I don't think is at that level. So you got a guy playing the Premier League, but it's frustrating because it needs to be better going into a World Cup. Eric? If everybody is physically fit, I'm taking Turner today. Um, because I, I think he's mentally uh, more confident. He, he's there. That said, I, I think Zach Steffen's biggest problem is staying physically fit. I honestly feel what I'm seeing today is a player not sure of his body. So if that's right, Zach Steffen's got a he's got a, a big say in this as well. But Matt Turner is who I would go with today. Yeah, and we thought the number nine was going to be the big discussion for the U.S. national team. Now we have another topic of conversation. That was the semifinal on Saturday. Let's talk about the semifinal on Sunday. Chelsea beat Crystal Palace. But no Christian Pulisic, no minutes for the U.S. Men's national team player. Uh, Chelsea advances to the final 2-0, the final score. So uh, we have seen recently, Casey, uh, the minutes for Christian Pulisic not the same as at the start of the year. Is it time to start worrying about that? Well, I think that's been a case for Christian the whole time at Chelsea was, was he being brought in as an out-and-out starter or was he just a guy, you know, coming in to help improve the squad? And he's had moments where he's really shined in, in a Chelsea jersey and then other times where then he gets set back because of an injury and then he pushes forward again and you think, okay, now he's really going to establish himself and then there's another little setback. So now, albeit as a field player, it's a little bit better because Christian has gotten plenty of minutes uh, off the bench even when he's not starting for the most part. Yes, it's a little worrying trend at the end of the season, but you'll still have a full preseason. You'll still have a lot of ins and outs before that time comes next year. Uh, so I'm not sure it's, it's quite uh, all panic stations with Christian, but I would still, again, love to see him at a club where the manager says, you're in my starting 11 if you're fit. Yeah, you know what? I, the thing here, Case, is we're talking about Thomas Tuchel, and there's probably like Two players in that whole front line who feel somewhat confident with Thomas Tuchel and they're standing with him, and that's Mason Mount, and that'll be Kai Havertz. Everybody else, Lukaku, ZH, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, they're kind of in this rotation, kind of in the same pool. Uh, I'm not too worried about his standing with Thomas Tuchel. I think that rotation will be there. I'm worried about Timo Werner. And Seb said this maybe last week or some time ago, and it got me thinking, man, the little guy's right on this one because Timo Werner is a direct threat to Christian Pulisic and his play. Timo Werner does well. Christian Pulisic's minutes dwindle. And they've got identical minutes. The only difference is Timo Werner's output is a little bit better when it comes to goals, when it comes to assists. And he has something that he does that, T or that Thomas Tuchel absolutely loves, which is his movement. So that, to me, is a threat. It's not Thomas Tuchel. Uh, so far, in year 2022, Christian Pulisic has completed 90 minutes only four times. Now, as Eric stated already, uh, Casey, there seems to be a rotation system for Thomas Tuchel. In that rotation, 
Where do you see the importance of Christian Pulisic so far this year for Thomas Tuchel? Well, I think it's been it's been important. I mean, but he's he's had some injury setbacks, which has yep. then have forced him to kind of reestablish himself. Now, the the question mark I have is is not so much with Thomas Tuchel right now. My question is. A new ownership group comes in. You get rid of five players. Here's a half a billion dollars to go spend to win the league, the Champions League, and everything else that comes our way. What does that rotation look like after that? To me right now, it's a rotation because nobody is really taking a hold of those positions. Once somebody comes in and does, that's when you have to be worried. All right, that's a good conversation. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep on talking about uh, Christian Pulisic's minutes with Chelsea for now. Uh, Casey Keller, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, senor. Gracias. Thanks, guys. And, of course, the FA Cup final is on ESPN+. Plus. Saturday, May 14th, Liverpool playing Chelsea. Liverpool still might be in the race for four trophies this year. Crazy. Insane. All right, let's run it back, Herc. Good action over the weekend. Let's start with DeAndre Gatlin. This is his first assist for Inter Miami. Inter Miami beat Seattle Sounders. Well, Seattle. I was not crazy. expecting that. Wow. I mean, league play. Don't tell me you exactly, were. Well, they've not exactly been tearing it up in league play. They're concentrating on CONCACAF Champions League. Very good service. Yeah. You'll take that one. DeAndre Yedlin, Seattle homecoming. Look at that. That's all it took. That's all it took. Hey, Little please sound. What about Jordan Pifok? 19 goals so far, leading the scorer's table in the Swiss First Division. Jordan Pifak, do not sleep. I know lots have written him off. That was not Mexico City, right? Lots <laughs> have written him off because of what happened in Mexico City. Do not sleep on Jordan Pifak. That is a goal scorer's life. It's what it's about. 19 goals. Mm. Just needs that. Players who get minutes are in rhythm, score goals. And this is Haji Wright, fifth goal in the last five games. 10 in total, Antalya Spore in Turkish Super League. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. There's a chance that the world, he's 24 years old, the man is blazing fast, he's a goal scorer and he's 6'3". I mean, you don't have... You Do don't not have, ignore that. And if you don't have an established number nine, right, you gotta keep your options open. Three game scoring streak in league play for the first time in his career, one of eight non-European players with 10 plus goals this Super League season. Now we have bad news. We saw DeAndre Jedling with a good assist. Serginho Des, he started. We're not gonna talk about Barcelona's problems. They lost again, but he had to leave the game injured and he seemed very, very upset while leaving the field. Yeah, uh, shades of uh, Gio Reyna coming back, re-injuring himself, the frustration levels. Look at that, he's yeah. not happy. It's not, it's not a good moment right now. It's not a good moment. Serginho Des, Xavi, you just hope it's not too serious. Yeah, that's exactly our hope. The uh, Deutsche Pokal, DFB Pokal semifinals, RB Leipzig playing Union Berlin. This is Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 in the morning Pacific time on ESPN2. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Let's talk about Chivas. This happened on Friday night. Usually, fans show up at Chivas Hotel, you know, to show their support, to get some cool chance, but things got out of control. Fans were able to run past the barriers, and it became a very, very dangerous situation. Team security had to bring the players back inside the hotel lobby. Uh, Chivas was in Mexico City to play Cruz Azul. Things started to calm down a little bit, and then the team decided to have some players available to talk to the fans. Herc, this is Fernando Beltran talking to some of those. I think they're part of the Barra Bravas. They're part of the Ultras. I have no idea why the team would decide it's okay for the players to go out there and try to calm the waters with these fans. If, you're putting your players in danger. I don't see what yeah. you can possibly get out of this. We saw that happening with Rayados de Monterrey. It also happened a few weeks back with Toluca. Yeah. And now Chivas, who fired Marcelo Michel Leaño, and they have an interim coach. We'll talk about the result. Uh, in a moment, but for now, we say welcome, Cristina Alexander on Football Americas. It's great to talk to you, Cristina. Uh, you know Chivas very, very well. Um, did they walk into this very, very dangerous situation by making their players available? I think so. Yeah, you have to protect the integrity of your players. Security has to be your number one priority, which is why you have security placed in the in the first place. Thanks for having me, guys, on Football Americas. But yeah, I think it was a huge mistake to have your players go out there. If you're going to have them go out there, make sure that they're at a place where fans can't get to these players. Find an open window if you want. Give them a microphone. Give them, I don't know, something so that they can calm down these fans. But that's giving the fans too much power. If you're going to insist to have your players there, then you have to have their security as your number one priority and stop giving these fans so much power. As you mentioned, with the Rayados de Monterrey, having those threats of even telling Pizarro, we know where you live. Come on, guys. You know what the most upsetting thing is? The Chivas is a huge, it's, it's a huge team. It's a massive team. I yeah. played on lots of teams in Mexico. Not so many massive teams, a lot that were very big teams. When I was at Tigres, we had a whole level to ourselves in the hotel room. There was security in and out every single elevator. They knew who came up and where. Anytime we were anywhere near the public, we had security detail around the clock, around us. They couldn't get near us. They couldn't come close. This is a situation where not only are they getting close and getting near the players, but it seems like the team is okay with having their players be in direct communication and direct sight or line of sight and danger of these. And I want to call them fans because we, we, honestly, we, we look see, at that. Look at the Bravas. We've seen these ultras. Yeah. We've seen whatever. They, 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 you don't want this. Nene Beltran. I saw Pollo Briseño, who's a very emotional character, speaking yep. to to fans yep. as well. It just takes one idiot for this exactly. to escalate and to free something like we saw in uh, Atlas versus Querétaro. Just a uh, something that could be uh, something we should never now, see. Now, Cristina, I want to go back to the fact that Chivas 
made the players available to talk to the fans. This was a very, very dangerous situation in itself. We saw the glasses shattered. We saw the fans that were very, very altered. Why do you think the teams make the players available? And I'll give you my theory, because we already talked about this when we had the very sad episode on uh, the episodes on Querétaro, at Querétaro, right? And we said some of these ultras, some of these barra bravas, they actually do have a lot of power within the team. Do you think that plays a role in the fact that the, that the clubs make the players available to talk to the fans? Absolutely. And that's why I said it's giving the fan way too much power. It's like giving, I don't know, uh, Herc, you're a dad. If your kid is crying and crying and kicking and screaming, you're not going to give your kid what, what they want because that's giving them the wrong message. So I think that's the thing here. If you're really threatening the players, if you know that there's any possibility, a slight chance of violence, because we have to talk about liability as well, and the players are in their right to say, why would you put me in that dangerous situation? It wasn't my decision to make. If you security are telling me that I'm safe to go out there and then you step on some broken glass because of, of somebody that, you know, shattered uh, glass, which is also ridiculous. It should never get to this level, which is really just so frustrating that we have to talk about this, that we have to see these kind of images. And it's still the same thing because clearly the reaction after what we saw with Querétaro against Atlas hasn't been enough. A message has not been sent loud enough to these fans, to these ultras, because let's let's call them yeah. li like they are, uh, ultras, and these fans that shouldn't really be in that place or have that power, power and access to the players as well. If if you want to put somebody out there, put Ricardo Pelais, maybe Amaury Vergara, but I think that's still mm. way too risky to give the ultras this kind of power i mean the thing is precedent is being set we, we saw it rayados uh, the fans going to rayados we saw it in toluca when they went up to the players in toluca and now it's chivas so fans now feel empowered these people feel empowered or they feel like they have the right we saw it at the to club go ahead World and do Cup this too herc yeah, I mean, we saw right. it overseas as well. Why is this something that is just so easy for fans to think that they can do and get away with it? Because we're talking about death threats here. We saw Julian Nagelsmann also talking about this the other day about getting death threats. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I always get upset and, and my parents can attest to this. If Rayados is eliminated and I'm really sad about it and they tell me it's just a game, that's when I get upset about it. But honestly, this is just a game. And the ultras need to get that through their heads. Now, there was an official reaction by Chivas through their social accounts. This is a, a great excuse for our Get Lost segment. Shout out to our boy Sebastián Salazar. Chivas posted on Twitter, we strongly condemn the attacks tonight, both from the pseudo fans who were the main actors, now pay attention to this, and from the media that from early on, helped create a hostile environment with their sensationalist and provocative headlines. And then they put a couple of examples. Uh, I, used, I used to be a Raza Deportiva host. I don't know what Raza Deportiva, <laughs> that, that show doesn't even exist anymore on ESPN Radio. But now, Cristina, why is Chivas, through their social accounts, blaming the media for what happened? Listen, I, I just moved right outside of New York, and, and I will say it as someone from New York would say, get out of here. Come on, get lost. This is insane. Why are we bringing the media into this, you guys? I mean, I know that maybe we can spark debate. We could uh, really just bring fans to have an opinion, give them a platform to voice that. 
but to immediately bring the media into this and not owning up to the mistake of saying we condemn what happened tonight and also we regret the decision of bringing our players out and putting them in a very risky situation because our priority has to be the security of the players. So I think it's so ridiculous, honestly, that they're bringing the media into this. And I do want to say I know what it is to cover Chivas. I know what the atmosphere is, specifically with the journalists. And I do think that yellow journalism is still unfortunately a protagonist when we when we talk about the local media and these local uh, reporters that cover Chivas. I understand that frustration. I've talked to, to players that aren't at Chivas anymore. I talked to Matias Almeida about it as well and how it's a challenge in and of itself to have to kind of dodge these comments. But I don't think, and I think it's very dangerous as well, to place any blame on these reporters who are doing their job and trying yeah. to cover the team. And the reality of the situation is that there's a crisis, and Chivas needs to accept that as well. And the journalists have to cover the fact that there is a very serious crisis in Chivas. Listen, there's good press and bad press all over the place, not just in Mexico, all over the world. Yep. Uh, whatever sport you may be, you're going to find all kinds of press. But this is classic Chivas. The hypocr hypocrisy from Chivas here is outstanding. It's incredible. This is the same Chivas who their social media would attack Pumas and call them gatitos and talk about eating kitty Los bear. desplegados. Los desplegados, right? all yeah. this other stuff. This is par for the coast. Also, deflection. This is what they love to do. Americas in the Liga are in a final news dump We'll try to steal the thunder. We'll try to deflect from our mediocrity or for, from our shortcomings here. They love doing these things. This is their way of deflecting their problems and saying, focus on here. Don't focus that the people are upset with Chivas. And if the people are upset with Chivas, it's not our doing. It's not because we're not doing something right. It's because you, the press, are doing something wrong. It's a classic Chivas move. Yeah, not taking responsibility for actions, not only on the field, but also off the field. Cristina, stay right there. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Very chaotic week for Chivas, but they still had a game to play, and it was a very, very big game at Estadio Azteca. Cadena, the interim manager, and this is just very early in the game. This is Alexis Vega, tries his luck, and that's a very good save by Sebastián Jurado. Oh, it's a bad miss. Oh, no, that's one, a good save. One B, one. Give Jurado some credit. Oh, producer's going to be... This is a bad miss. <laughs> that's a bad miss as well. It's just the number nine. It's yeah. what it is. Saldívar is... He's a good nine, but he's not the nine. And Alexis Vega again, man, how fast is this guy? He's got another shot. Again, very similar to Saldivar. Yeah, but it's all Chivas. All Chivas in the first half. No highlights for Cruz Azul until El Bebote, the big baby who was up, uh, who was uh, coming off the bench in the second half. And now the corner and another Chicotazo Herc. El yeah. Chicote Calderón with the header. Chivas in the lead, in the lead after 59 minutes. Apparently the... Uh, Color commented, watch this. Oh, bad, bad tackle right there. Alexis Vega loses his head, puts his arms around the neck of his opponent. He gets the red. There is history there. Yep. He suffered yep, a yep. fractured bone from that player. Mala leche, bad tackle. So he was very that obviously was upset. During a friendly match, Mexico's under 23 yeah, team. Versus Cruz Azul. Yep, yep. That resulted in a fracture for Alexis Vega. He uh, he thought of that, of course. This is the table so far. Clausura 2022. Chivas. He's right there. Remember, first four teams make it straight to the quarterfinals. 
And then we have a repechaje uh, playoff, if you will. First round of the playoffs. Chivas is right there. 11th spot. America. America is already 8th, by the way. Now, this has to do with Chivas, of course, but we go back to Major League Soccer. San Jose Earthquakes announced officially on Monday that Matias Almeida is no longer their manager after a little bit over three plus seasons with the team. It was not exactly what Matias Almeida had in mind. He was already very vocal, Herc, very public with his desire to leave the team. Now it's official. <laughs> now it's official. I mean, now it was, it's official. It was always, it was always. We all knew this was coming, but on Monday on it became official. It, it, it was a messy, by the way, John Fisher, no quote from him. Nothing as of yet, in case you were wondering. But he didn't leave without a bang. This was on Saturday. A fan started shouting at Matias Almeida, who then went downstairs and almost went head to head with the fan. Security had to intervene in the end. Matias Almeida went back straight to the locker room. So, um, who's better off now, Herc? Matias Almeida or San Jose? Let me just start off by saying, I'm really surprised Matias Almeida, who, who grew up in a footballing culture like Argentina, who yeah. worked in a footballing culture, culture excuse me, like Mexico, wasn't prepared with a thick skin to deal with an MLS fan. Not the first time that happened, not by the, the way. Not the first time that has time. happened. Yes, yeah. not the first time. That to me is baffling. Yeah. How, how he can let somebody at that level, get to him that way goes to show you the frustrations there. Uh, who's better off for it? Let's just be honest. This is one of the few situations where both are actually better off for it. I mean, it was never a good fit. It, Matias Almeida was a huge impact, an injection to the veins of Major League Soccer in that area in a franchise that for many years has just been irrelevant. John Fisher, the owner of this team, has this team because it's a stock for him. Okay? He's seen that stock shoot up while other owners do the work. That's why he has this team. Matias Almeida wanted more. Didn't happen. Matias Almeida, his style didn't work in Major League Soccer. He needed to get out. They were leaking goals. Entertaining for us, the neutral. Because no matter what, San Jose oh, yeah. oh, was yeah. going to be entertaining. It was going to be that train wreck you can't look away from. But one of the few moments where him leaving, now he's free. He can go elsewhere and he'll have plenty of options. He will have plenty of options. And the team, the San Jose Earthquakes, get to move on because it was embarrassing them as a franchise. The actions of Matias Almeida and the actions of this absentee owner. The franchise gets to move on. I agree. But I believe, I believe Matias Almeida is a little bit better off. And here's why. We had the chance to talk to Matias right after he was named the manager. And he seemed motivated. He wanted the challenge. Yeah. He was excited because he thought he was going to have, and he did have a lot of control within the team. Now, the part that maybe was not ideal for him was the budget, right? But it was no surprise for him. He knew the team. It's also not it, a not, bad budget. It's not a bad budget, but not the way Matias Almeida thought they needed to spend in terms of uh, being more competitive in the league. So I think Matias Almeida will have a lot of options, and I'm very sorry to see that it ended this way. Yeah. Because I, Matias Almeida is a very good manager, and he has a passion for the sport. He had a passion for the league, and in the end, I believe he lives a little disappointed. You know, he seems like the type of guy that whatever he does, he wants, wants to do it to the fullest. And he got tied into an owner that just wants this team to have this team so the, so the price of this team goes up. Yeah. Why the rest of Major League Soccer is working, that price, because it's tied into Major League Soccer, will go up. Yeah. And that's all he was there for. Matias Almeida realized that. He realized John Fisher sold him 
something else. John Fisher told him something else. And when he went back on his word, Matias Almeida was like, well, I'm out of here as well. We now welcome back Cristina Alexander to the conversation, Cristina, because now Matias becomes an obvious candidate to take the Chivas job. Do you believe that's the case? I believe that's the case, that he is the number one candidate. I don't believe that it can actually come to fruition uh, because we know with Matias Almeida and what MLS has been now for him, but I would put him as the number one candidate for the job, the ideal candidate. I was able to be there when Matias got the Chivas, and you guys are right, Matias loves a challenge. And he was so highly questioned because he didn't know the Liga MX, he didn't know any of the players, the style, the league, etc., etc. And Matias said, my job here and my mission is to make Chivas roar again. And I think he really did. Chivas was put back on the map because of Matias Almeida. And Chivas right now is in such a struggling situation that I think they kind of need that motivation back again. If he could inject that same motivation in the veins as we saw with the MLS, why not think that he can do that right now with Guadalajara? And I think so many fans would have that patience that maybe they don't have for other coaches. I think they would have that patience with Matias Almeida. I don't know how much patience people like Ricardo Peláez or people like Amaury Vergara would have with someone like Matias Almeida because we know that Almeida left Chivas as well, kind of longing that relationship that he had as well with, with Jorge Vergara. But we know that there was another player in there with Higuera that he was just very uncomfortable with. But I think this would be an ideal moment for Matias Almeida to go back to Chivas. I just don't, I'm not convinced it's actually going to happen. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's going to happen either. And I'm not so convinced he's the ideal manager for the club. He's the ideal manager for the fans. I get that. <laughs> the fans want Matias Almeida. I understand that. But if you look at this club, this roster and the roster that he had, I mean, that roster that Matias Almeida had with Rolfo Cota, with Rojo Pizarro, Gallito Pulido. Pulido, yes, right. Alanis, the seleccionado Alanis with the national. Achofis. Orbelin, but Herc, that was after. When he got there, the team wasn't doing great and what? the roster wasn't spectacular well, hold, hold, hold on, Hold on. When he left, the team wasn't doing great. I mean, if you look at the three years he was there, he had seasons. He had four seasons, four seasons, where they only got 11th or worse. Worst. Four seasons in those three years. He may have won trophies, but he also left them in problems of, of relegation and whatnot. So I'm not too convinced it's... The right choice for the fans, yes. I just don't know if this Chivas roster is the right one for him. Let's, let's just remember this. He loves to be in control of everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's going to have that with this current Chivas. If Matias Almeida is not your ideal candidate, Herc, then who is? Oh, <laughs> Javier Mascherano. Come on! Wait, wait, where are you getting Javier Mascherano from? You know, this is crazy, but Javier Mascherano was the name being thrown out there. By Ricardo Peláez. By Ricardo Peláez himself, the sporting director, before they landed on, get this, Michelle Leaño. You go from Javier Mascherano to Michelle Leaño, and look at what happened with Michelle Leaño. Javier Mascherano may not have a lot of first-team experience, but he's a massive name, a respected figure. And I'll tell you what, everything I'm hearing about this Chivas locker room, these players govern themselves. Mano Dura would suit them well. And a guy like Mascherano, a guy that you have grew up watching, a guy that has that personality, ese carácter goes in there, 
It would be a jolt uh, to the fan base. It would be Esperanza for everybody. It would be a respected figure that even Ricardo Pelaez himself would succumb to and would respect. Amaury Vergara would let him do his job. I think this could be the right move. I don't know if it's doable anymore. Uh, there seem to be Barca B talks in there, Barca B talks in there, but Mascherano would be just on all levels just as such an important signing for this club. Yeah, uh, there are reports that he might also be a part of Lionel Scaloni's staff for the World Cup alongside Cunagüero. So Cristina has Matias Almeida, Herc has Javier Mascherano. Okay, <laughs> you got? they have tried everything. So let's just go all in. The <laughs> ideal candidate to take Chivas' job is Marcelo Bielsa. Yes, wow. that very same Marcelo Bielsa. Look at the job he did at Leeds United. Fantastic job. He's a man of challenges. He's, he's already worked in Mexico. He knows the city. For America. 25 years ago, he coached in Guadalajara, in Atlas, Atlas, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. You th don't you think the fans, the moment that name is thrown out there and they know what he's capable of, the fact that he likes to work with younger players, we already know Chivas is not going to attract the best Mexican players. So now what do you do with that? You go to your youth system. And that with Marcelo Bielsa is second to none in terms of developing younger talent. He would be perfect. Perfect for Chivas. Let me get this straight. You want Chivas to go with a manager who coached both of their rivals, yeah. the most bitter rivals, yeah. and you want Chivas to go with the guy who's known for leaking in goals, who's known for being Fine. so cautioned to the win, like forget about it, it's that okay. it's all out of attack, and he left his last club in relegation problems. Yeah, that's fine. That's I mean, funny. the nickname suits him, too. The loco. The yeah. loco. The crazy. Sure. Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, Cristina, it's a pleasure to have you on Football Americas. Great to see you in person, finally. We, we met earlier today. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here in L.A., guys. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We now go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Herc, Austin FC. They were down two goals, and then starting at the 80th minute, what a comeback. Danny they scored Hosen. three goals in the final 10 minutes. Danny Hosen right there. And then look at, uh, go ahead, Sebastian. Go ahead, Driussi. This that's man is on fire. That's number five right there. Yeah. He was leading the league. He was leading the league then, Tati. And how about this one? Go ahead, Diego Fagundes. And oh, my. I mean, God. that's a... Uh, that's a mistake by the goalie. Let's call it. Let's call it by its name, right? Yeah. That's bad. That's that, bad. That, and that's very uncharacteristic mistake from uh, Bill Hamid. He's usually very short, but it was aided by a Ola Kamara red card, yeah. double double yellow. So score twice. He did score then twice. saw the red card. First time since 2018 that a team comes back from a two-goal deficit after the 80th oh. minute. And this is the bad. Brad Guzan, ruptured Achilles for this 37-year-old goalkeeper. Yeah, one of the all-time good guys in the sports. Um, great guy. Bobby Shuttleworth is now the next man up. 
but if I'm Atlanta, I'm dialing up Minnesota. They got Dane St. Clair, they got Tyler Miller. One of those two guys, both on starter money, one of those two guys would be more than suitable. Great addition to your club. But you hate to see this, Brad Guzan, like such a good guy. Yeah. At 37, turning 38 in September, you have to ask like, if he wants to come back. And all-time great career for a goalkeeper. Like honestly, just very sad for him. Speedy recovery. We hope this is not the end. We don't want to see a career like like his to end that way. And this is the ugly. Real Salt Lake, through their social accounts, were mocking NYCFC's banner. Okay, you can do that on social media, but if you're gonna if you're gonna make fun of your opponent, then you cannot concede six goals, Kirk. Ooh. Six goals. There's the first one from Tati. Don't leave him alone. That's last year's golden boot. That's the first one. How about the second one, Tati? You want to pick Paradinha. There you go. That's the second one. Hey, that's okay. It's only two goals, right? It's only two goals, Salt yeah, Lake. It's okay. It'll get better. No, that's not it. We're going back to the spot. Oh, there's his third. That's Tati's third. It's only a hat trick. You know, I mean, golden boot. Let's give me. Oh no, goalkeeper! Don't do that. No, 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 no. Tati, no. poker. Oh my God! I mean, if you're gonna do the talk, right? This is one is the loneliest number as well. <laughs> We've had several of those this week, and we have a fantastic weekend of Major League Soccer on ESPN on Saturday. Minnesota will play Chicago Fire. Uh, that's gonna be a good game. Are you gonna be a part of that game, dude? Yes, in Deportes. Yeah, that's right, on ESPN Deportes, on ESPN as well, streaming on ESPN. The app and a doubleheader for Sunday. Inter Miami versus Atlanta United. We will be on the call for that game yes, sir. on ESPN Deportes as well. And right after that, another fantastic match. Orlando City hosting. Red Bull, New York, everything starts Saturday and then a doubleheader on Sunday on ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. Let's, uh, this was a fantastic thing that happened over the week. And remember this? Remember th this tweet from March 26th? Washington Spirit posting, Hey, Gotham FC, too soon? Ankle's broken. Remember this? Yes, I do. All right. And then the response by Ashley Harris, Get us a professional feel and then we can talk. Until then, take the you-know-what. Trinity Rodman then replied, oh, I didn't see any any else falling like that. You can accept uh, her ankles got broke. Oh, my bad. Wang Camp, because she got called to the national team and she's feeling confident. All right, this is what happened, Herc. Gotham FC playing Washington, and Go this ahead. is Ashley Sanchez. What a, what a goal. Yeah, it's the second free kick in the uh, Challenge Cup. She gets a nice little bend. That's the first one, mm -hmm. okay? Remember, Gotham was up 1-0. That's the tie. And then, oh, watch this little finish from Trinity Rodman off the half This down. is awesome. Delicious, delicious service. She's going to eat that up all day. Good finish. Look at this. The concentration level of technique on fleek right there. <laughs> Gets it. That's two to one. Yeah, and the reaction by Ashley Harris, like saying, nah, not you. Ashley, yeah, watch Come this. Come on, not you. Watch this little ball in. It's an inviting ball. And then she beats Ali Krieger, who comes in as a sub in the first half. Yeah, Ali Krieger one. got her ankles broken. 
by no. the way. Yeah, no, none of that play on the original play. Yeah. And then, of course, Washington Spirit posted, yeah, feeling confident, honey. Oh. <laughs> I like the Mander. It's oh, fine. Oh, man. Uh, this is looking good for, for Spirit. This is a nice tandem, and they're giving results. They're getting results. It's not just this tandem, it's the Tritons they have going on. Washington Spirit, a very exciting team going forward. Very dynamic, lots of speed, good in front of the goal. This game played in Red Bull Arena. Not in a high school field, it was played at Red Bull Arena and we got ourselves a little rivalry. I love it. All right, on Football America's Road to Qatar, Sam Borden is having these conversations with uh, the players that we believe are going to be a huge part of the UN's men's national team and their journey to Qatar. Our next guest is Valencia's Yunus Musa, who, for a lot of the experts, a lot of pundits, has been crucial for this team and the fact that they punched their ticket to the World Cup. And my earliest memories were playing with my brother and his friends. Um, in a local park next to my house in Italy and also playing for uh, the local team in Italy. Those were uh, good memories. What was it about like the sport that you know you fell in love with? What is it that made you feel like, hey, this is something that I'm going to do? Yeah, and I didn't feel like it was something that I was going to do. It's like I just loved um, playing for my local team and seeing when the first team were training, you know, seeing them play in front of fans. That seemed really fun. That seemed like, amazing. And I just wanted to grow up and do what they were doing. You know, you're, you're young, obviously, but you've been compared to soccer legends by people in the media for a long time. You've been on these, uh, you know, young star lists. Uh, what is that like? What is that like to sort of deal with that expectation all the time? I think um, once, once you settle down, like, you realize that you're only going to, you know, you're only competing against, with yourself and you just need to keep trying to improve every day and not think about the big expectations, you know. You just need to try and keep improving every day and try to keep your place in the team. At the beginning, I was really like, because it was all over the place, I was really paying attention to like seeing what people were saying and stuff. And I liked what people were saying. But now that now I understand that, yeah, you just need to think, forget about that and just focus on trying to get better because people will talk anyways, really. You know, your first La Liga goal last year, watching the celebration, you just looked like so happy. Yeah. What do you remember about that goal, that moment, how you felt? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I scored a goal and like I was just so happy that firstly scored a chance because I had, I had a teammate that I could pass to and then uh, yeah like feeling getting your first goal finally after so many years of uh, dreaming about it, it was just um, incredible. You were eligible to play for Ghana or Italy yeah. or the US or England. Yeah. Could you just explain sort of why that is or how that came to be and then how you dealt with the decision process? Obviously I was born in New York and then I lived uh, till I was nine in Italy and then um, I lived in England, I grew up in England in my teenage years up to when I was 16 and then yeah obviously I'm in Spain now playing and also my parents are from Ghana so yeah and um, yeah making the decision was hard because um, you know you're making a final decision you really want to make the right one and uh, at the end I think I made the right choice for my career and for myself. I really enjoy coming here with the guys and uh, it's a great experience. Some players in your situation make lists, you know, pros and cons, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Did you do something like that or how did you yeah, yeah, yeah. actually go about doing it? Yeah, I did, I did, I did do the list sometimes because it was a hard decision, you know. Like, it was so hard to make a decision because uh, it wasn't really a bad decision to make at the time. 
and um, yeah, but no, I don't regret the decision I made. Like, I thought up to myself with like with the decision I made in the past. I thought, well, if I made this decision, I'm just gonna stick to it and try my best no matter what. And that's what I thought with this as well. And um, yeah, whether it's going bad or good, you know, you're gonna have ups and downs wherever you go. And uh, yeah, you just gotta stick through it. What were some of the things on the pros for the U.S.? What, what, you know, what was the on the good side for the U.S. that led you in this direction? Obviously, speaking with the manager directly, that was really big. Like the, the first team manager is calling you when you was uh, 15, 16, calling you, um, uh, telling you like, you know, we think about you in the future, being part of this team. Like that's crazy, you know. And um, that that was really felt like they really want you. And f me feeling that I, w I wanted, you know, in the team, that's that's really big. You played so much for England's youth teams. Was there either yeah. a part of you or maybe your family that just thought, oh, well, for sure, he's going to end up with England? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because obviously I played with them for the youth team and I went to almost every camp and uh, they were so good to me and had so much fun there. I loved being there as well. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I didn't imagine playing for the US, no. Who was the most surprised among the people sort of in your circle when you said, no, I'm going to go with the USA? I think they were surprised at the beginning when the opportunity came because especially my mom, though, she's a person that doesn't like, um, you know, if someone's done good to you, you know, don't, don't do bad to them, you know? So, yeah, that was the hard part because leaving England that, that way after, you know, going to every, almost every camp, there were such great people, everyone. And then, you know, saying that you're going to choose a different nation, that was the hard part. What is it like to be part of this group now? It's a younger group, you know, there's a lot of guys that are sort of on the rise. Mm. How would you describe the atmosphere around this team? I think, like, um, you're going through so many similar things, you know, you're in the team, you're the young one, you're, you need to, like, you're trying to get into the team. Some people are in the team, some people are not. And you kind of go through the same things, and uh, as you're like kind of the same age range, like you can um, discuss things comfortably, you know. Who do you feel like? Who do you look to for leadership in that group when it is so many young guys in the core? Who provides the leadership? I've said this before. Like, um, people have different type of leadership skills. Some talk a lot. Um, some do a lot of actions. And uh, yeah, we have a mix of leaders in in this group. And uh, I think that's helpful if you just don't have one kind of leader, you know. If you have a guy that's just shouting, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna really like it. So we've got a mix. You've been able to play different positions on the field. Yeah. When you look at this group, where do you feel most comfortable, you know, impacting the team? Uh, well, so far in this group, I've only played in the middle. Um, that I felt comfortable there. But if I was going to play any other position, I feel feel like I'd be comfortable because my teammates will help me out, the coach will help me out, and uh, yeah. It doesn't matter, really. Obviously, the U.S. team has had sort of a, a crazy uh, arc, you know, going from the disappointment of uh, the last World Cup qualifying to now the, the the wins this summer, and now it's sort of on an uptick as they go towards 2022. How do you feel about the future of this team and being a part of it? Where do you, you know, how high can this team go? I mean, you shouldn't set any limits to yourself, you know. You can go as high as you work, and uh, the work we put in is definitely going to pay off and we're working hard to achieve our goals and uh, be the best we can be because I think that this group can go as far as they can and um, yeah, we're going to try our best. That's Yunus Musa, his career in Europe, games, goals. Uh, he did not start the last game for Valencia. He started one of the last three, but this is so far what he has done 
with El Equipo Che. Yeah, he's coming back from injury. He's a very good little player, composed, can play multiple positions. You heard him right there with Sam. Great interview, great interview by Sam, by yeah. the way. Uh, great series. As always. Um, but he's talking about where he feels most comfortable, outside or is it in the middle? He says he feels very comfortable in the center, so that's uh, something to keep an eye on. I obviously part of that big MMA yeah. midfield. Yeah, he was one of the more regular players during the octagonal. Do you believe he's a lock? Do you think it's, uh, it's safe to bet that he will be a starter in Qatar for the U.S. men's national team? You know, a lot of things can change and will change. And one of those would be depending on the health of Giovanni Reyna. I really feel when Giovanni Reyna is healthy, uh, there's going to be a way of getting him in the middle. And if he's the player that's in the center, I think it could be Eunice that's the, the player that's on the... Uh, outside looking in for Giovanni Reyna. Now that's a big if. Yeah. Gio Reyna off the first hamstring injury was it was five months. We're about seven months away from the World Cup, so a big if. But I mean for his age, he's done tremendous uh, for the US men's national Greg Berhalter. He's been a very, very bright spot and I don't think anybody really saw this coming out of Eunice Musa. No, and I remember the game we attended in Cincinnati, right? He was the best player on the field during the first half, right? Right before Christian Pulisic ended up deciding the game almost single-handedly, Yunus Musa had a fantastic game. And from then on, I believe he became very, very important for Greg Berhalter. So even, I believe, even if Gio Reyna is fit, I believe there has to be a spot for Yunus Musa because he can do a lot of things for this team. A lot of things. Yeah, you see a I, 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 I love the guy. I love the guy. All right. Uh, Valencia. Oh, man. This is going to be a good one. Villarreal hosting Valencia tomorrow, Tuesday. 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time. 12.20 uh, Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. Thursday, we will have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Alfonso Davis. Your boy, Alfonso Fonzie. Davis. Yeah. Uh -oh. On Football America. Uh-oh. Uh, best player in CONCACAF? Still? For still? the best show about CONCACAF. Yeah, still, still best player in CONCACAF. Remember to download the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Seth might still be on vacation You want to come Thursday. back on Thursday? I'll be back I'll on you Thursday. You're back. He's yeah. back. We'll see you Thursday. Football America.